Welcome to the ministry of Barefoot Church. I'm Clay Neesmith, the pastor here at Barefoot Church. And man, we hope what you experience here today uh, will encourage you, motivate you, and inspire you in a great, great way. You know, uh, I want to talk to you today about breaking barriers. We are in a season of fasting as a church, fasting and praying, seeking what God wants for us to do as a community, as a family. And uh, if you haven't joined in with us on the fast, we still got one more week to go because we're doing 21 days. Come on, somebody. So this will be a great week if you just want to get in on the last seven days. Uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, and I hope your fasting is going well. You know, the first week, it's a little difficult. The second week, uh, God begins to, to, to kind of begin to do a little cleansing process. And it's not just, you know, physical cleansing, but uh, we begin to gain focus in fasting. Anybody getting a little clear focus during this particular time? And, uh, and we begin to kind of dial things in in a way that we can begin to hear spiritually from God in a powerful, powerful way. So I hope that is the case in your life. I hope that's the case in your personal life, in your personal endeavors, but also in the corporate life of, of the church. You know, anytime a team gets ready to play a game, uh, they, they typically spend a little time uh, preparing and, and just kind of getting their self ready uh, for the atmosphere and what is going to happen during that particular game. And honestly, I don't think our spiritual life is far from that. In other words, I think your preparation has a lot to do with how God intervenes in your life and through your life. And I think sometimes we just don't take time and hit the pause button and let God speak into our hearts and our lives in a powerful way. And that's what the prayer part is, is prayer is not about us just asking God for something Prayer is about us speaking with God and aligning with God in his purpose. How many of you know that? Come on. I, I don't personally see my great high God, my creator, as, as a genie in a bottle. He just kind of gives me what I want when I ask for it. In other words, I, I really see him as my leader. I see him as the authority of my life. And I see myself as being one that can get off track very, very easy. And so when I go to talk to him, when I go to pray to him, it's, it's really about me aligning myself with him under his values and living out uh, what he has designed me to be in the earth. And so I want to encourage you to be in prayer uh, about the same things. God, how would you align us? to be about what you're about in the earth. Today, I want you to turn, if you would, uh, to Mark chapter, chapter 11. And we're going to read an interesting story here that, that I think is going to really help us in our purpose as a church. Uh, and probably it will help us in our purpose as, as individuals also. So if you have your Bibles, we'll Begin in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, and I want to set the stage for you. This is the last week of Jesus's earthly life. 
He's just rolled up into Jerusalem and uh, he is setting the stage to go to the cross. Now, I don't know how many of you know how intense of a week that possibly could have been for Jesus. But he knows that he, he has work to do. He knows that he is going to be kind of put through a lot of cruelty. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to go to a cross and he's going to be put in a grave for three days. So this is kind of like the Super Bowl for Jesus. This is, is the week that he is setting up to, to fight against the powers and principalities of the universe, all the evils in, in the unseen realm. I just want you to stick with me for a minute. So, so Jesus is, is highly focused. He, he's like, hey, I, I, I'm setting up something for humanity. I'm coming to fulfill my purpose. You do know that Jesus, God in the flesh, had a purpose, right? And everything he did was, was really geared towards that purpose. But this is that week when he's entering into Jerusalem. And the Bible says this. So Jesus came to Jerusalem in verse 11, and he went into the temple. After looking around carefully, Everybody say the word carefully. So Jesus comes into the temple and he looks around carefully. In other words, he's examining what is happening in that temple, in that space, in that place. And keep in mind, the temple that the Bible is referring to here is much more massive than the building that you are sitting in currently today here at Barefoot Church. It's a, it's a place that it would have had a lot of activity going on around the outside, all up in the, in the Kroger parking lot, all the way down to the beach, over, you know, towards the Walmart that's north of here. It had a lot of activity going on around it. Then it had some walls set around it. And inside of those walls was, was kind of a space that the community and people of all walks of life could step into and hang out and find hope. Everybody say hope. And then there was another section as you moved inwardly that, that only Jewish people could go into. And then there was another section as you moved more inwardly that only the high priest could go into. But people from around the world would travel to Jerusalem to, to worship the great God at this temple in Jerusalem. The Bible says Jesus shows up and he begins to examine things and he looks at everything carefully. The Bible says he left because it was late in the afternoon. And then he returned to Bethany with his 12 disciples. So he decided to go to the hotel and spend the night. He decided to kind of go 
get a little rest. But the next morning, he begins to make his way back to this area, to, to, to the temple. And the Bible says that next morning in verse 12, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree and full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there was only leaves because it was too early in the season for the fruit. Now, what's interesting is the fruit and the leaves will normally come out about the same time on a, on a fig tree, but there, there's no figs on this particular fig tree. So the Bible says, Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit, eat your fruit again. And the disciples, they heard him say, say this. So in other words, Jesus curses this fig tree. The fig tree didn't have any figs on it. Jesus thought it should have fruit on it. It had some lush looking leaves on it but it didn't have any figs on it. He was hungry. And so he says, may no one ever eat figs from you again. Now keep in mind, Jesus had just gone into the temple earlier that, that day prior and late in the afternoon, and he had looked around at everything carefully. Now here comes Jesus back to the temple. They get up early. He's headed to the temple. He's hungry. He finds a fig tree that's not producing what it should produce, and it was lush, and it was green. So Jesus says, here is a great opportunity to share with my disciples that are walking with me about purpose. And, and, and I'm going to set the stage for when we roll back up in Jerusalem for what I'm getting ready to do. Because the day before, I have examined what is going on in the temple, in the temple courtyards. And the temple courtyards aren't producing what I needed them to produce. And they're not doing what they are designed to do. So I'm going to teach a lesson to my disciples before we get back. So they'll kind of catch on to what I'm getting ready to do. So, so Jesus is simply amazing because... He's getting ready to share with some people in the temple courts about how they are misusing the temple and the purpose that the temple was created for. But he wanted to give the disciples kind of a heads up. Hey, I, I, I'm getting ready to go into there and do something. It's going to be kind of radical. And when I do this radical thing, maybe you're going to, understand what I'm doing because of what I just did to this fig tree. In other words, he's kind of giving them the cliff notes of why he's getting ready to do what he's getting ready to do. Now, I want us to understand that God cares much about your attitude. Look at your neighbor and ask them, how's your attitude today? And I want you to also understand that God desires an incredible atmosphere. 
Ask them how the atmosphere is today. See, 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 our attitude in the atmosphere that we create together really has a lot to do with how the community engages with God. And God originally designed the temple and before Solomon built the first temple, actually God had given a type of what it would be to Moses and it was a tent of meeting and it was a traveling tent. But God had given quite the details in how to set up this atmosphere of where his presence would reside with his people. And God was very clear of why he wanted his presence to reside with the people of Israel. And it was simply so the people of Israel could be under his leadership and his guidance and put off such an aroma as the Bible refers to it, or a attitude in the community that drew people who weren't from the nation of Israel in to the community so that they could understand who the people of Israel's great God was. So there was a great purpose in God calling the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and moving them into what the Bible refers to as his promised land. And I need you to understand today, if God has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, he has a significant purpose for your life. And he really cares about your attitude. And he cares about how your attitude comes into the atmosphere. And when your attitude comes into the atmosphere, it is to create such an aroma that the community desires to fill this place up. Come on, somebody. And I really think this fasting idea should get us focused back on that idea. So the Bible says Jesus, he curses the fig tree, then he gets back to the temple, and this is where he does something that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, what is Jesus doing? And, and really what Jesus is doing is he, he is, is doing what he's doing because the people weren't fulfilling their purpose. The Bible says when they arrived back in Jerusalem, verse 15, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. That was a normal practice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Those two words in that passage of scripture are the key to understanding this whole incident that Jesus did. He says, he says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, all peoples, Gentiles and Jews alike. 
but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, Jesus being Jewish himself, he would have understood what the prophet Jeremiah had told the people before the first temple was destroyed. And Jesus understood in Jeremiah 7 that God had delivered a message to the prophet Jeremiah and said, look, the people are misusing the atmosphere. They're misusing what I've put into their hands. They're misusing why I called them out of Egypt. And so what I'm getting ready to do is I'm getting ready to flip that temple upside down because it's not fulfilling its purpose and because it's, it's really become a den of thieves or a house of robbers, a cave of robbers is what Jeremiah 7 calls it. And, and God says, I'm getting ready to take them into captivity so I can recalibrate them, refocus them on what their purpose is. And so Jeremiah had, had said that the people had misused basically what God had given them the temple for. Now, what does this have to do with us today? What it has to do with us today is many people misinterpret what the purpose of the church is and who the church is. The church is made up today of basically people from all different languages, all different tribes, and all different people groups. And the Bible refers to God forgiving us and allowing us to step out of darkness into the wonderful light. But once you step into the wonderful light, you have a purpose in your life. And we, we talk about it, we share about it, but, but sometimes it, it doesn't get deep in our heart. But the purpose of becoming a Christ follower is simply for you to, to love God desperately and then help other people understand how awesome he is and how magnificent he is and help them understand his great love. In other words, you to give hope to the community. Now, the interesting thing is the Bible refers to the temple today as, as God's people, uh, God's house as God's people. And it's found in Ephesians 2, verses 20 and 21. The writer says this, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Jesus himself, we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord, where the Lord's presence resides. Now, see, God cares about his temple because God's temple is a tool. And God cared about every detail of his tool. Literally, he, he, he gave the design of the tabernacle and, and the temple right down to the square inch, exactly what kind of material was going to be used. It was to be fantastic. It was to be fabulous. It was to be off the chain. It was to be incredible. It was to be the most shining thing in the world. And God says, you know what? I want you to build something where my presence is going to meet with you. And when my presence meets with you, what's going to happen is the people of the world are going to understand that I'm a powerful God. And they're going to be attracted to, to where you are worshiping. And so what I want you to do is I I want you to create an atmosphere where people can find hope. Amen. Amen. And, and it was set up in such a way that 
that you progress towards God's presence. In other words, you came in one way, but you were transformed into God's likeness and, and you move closer and closer and closer to God. So just think of the atmosphere as, as, as being these, ascent, these, the, these like circles and people were way far away from God, but they could come towards Jerusalem and, and they could find hope in this God. And, and so God had created environments for them to find hope. And this place where Jesus flips over these tables and basically runs the merchants out of that particular area was, was in the, what the Bible refers to as the court of Gentiles. In other words, it wasn't in this room. It was out there in the parking lot. And the reason Jesus flipped over the tables is because they were misusing the space for its purpose. There was nothing wrong with selling the merchandise. In other words, basically you had to sell the merchandise and exchange the, the currency so that, you know what, the people could basically give of their offerings and, and things that were necessary in the temple. And so instead of bringing a bunch of doves from thousands of miles away or, you know, a, 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 a particular animal to sacrifice, you, you would basically go there and purchase one. But, and you would exchange your currency if, 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 your, your, um, your coins were from, where they were pesos, and you come into North America, there was a place to exchange the pesos so that you could have dollars and, and use the dollars. Nothing wrong with that. But it was how they were doing it and their heart of why they were doing it that, that upset Jesus. In other words, they had missed their purpose. The reason God had the court there was so that people could come and find hope. But instead of allowing the people to come find hope in this great God, they were kind of setting up businesses and they had forgot their purpose. How many of you know it's easy to set up church and forget your purpose? it's easy to become a part of the church and forget your purpose. It's easy for you. I'm not just talking about what we do here on the weekend. I'm talking about what you do in your everyday life. There's, there's things that begin to come in your life that become barriers to other people finding hope in this great God. Now, keep in mind that the purpose of the temple was a place where God's people could meet with God's presence and worship a great God, but it was also to be a place that drew in the outsider, that drew in the foreigners. And God wanted the foreigners to come. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 56 speaks of this greatly. It speaks of, hey, may no foreigner ever say that they're not welcome in the temple. And, and, and so God wanted the foreigners to come, those who, 
who were not Jewish, those who didn't know this great God and had not met with his presence. And so the purpose was simply for them to worship this great God and to draw in the foreigner, to, to, to take down all the barriers that are keeping those from coming in and, and finding hope in this one true God. Now, again, if we are the church, that, that means you, that means me, what barriers are in the way of the foreigners, the outsiders coming in to God's place of worship and meeting this great God. And, and that causes me personally to examine my own life because I am the temple. You are the temple. We are the temple. What kind of barriers are I'm creating, am I creating that keeps people away from God? Because those are the things the fast needs to purge out. Those are the things that, that the fast needs to get out of my life. Because I am the temple of the holy God. You are the temple of the holy God. And the purpose of the temple is us together to worship this one true high God. And to help those others break through the barriers and find hope in this same God. So I'm going to continually ask myself, what do I need to purge out? What, what kind of tables does Jesus need to flip over in my life? And, and it's, it's tables that I, I sometimes find because I get more sometimes interested in Meeting with God's people, which is a, a true thing that you need to do on a regular basis. But, but sometimes I forget that my purpose in life is to be hope to those who don't know God. And so when I'm in a community and I meet a person, and they don't know who God is or they know some form of God or whatever else, they how am I creating hope for that person to know who the same God is that I know? What, what kind of barriers do I need to take out of my life? Am I making something else, God, in, in, in place of the one true God who rules and reigns over my heart? And, and I really think that that is what God wants us to examine in this passage today. Because what Jesus teaches in this passage as he's on his way to the temple is this. It's, it's basically, you know what? I'm looking for fruitfulness. I'm looking for something that produces. I'm looking for something that gives off figs, not something that just has a form and, and it's all dressed up in, in green leaves. And if I come up to it, it can look like it's supposed to have something. But, but the truth of the matter is, when I begin to examine it, and it doesn't have fruitfulness. In other words, if, if the outsider is not coming in and finding hope, then what I'm doing is I, I'm pushing that back. Because, because what feeds the hunger of God 
is those who don't know God coming to know who he is through his people. Come on, somebody. And I need you to know, yes, God is in charge and God could could take and snap his fingers and make everybody worship him today. But the way God works is God works through his people, his church, his temple. And he's chose to do that. He chose to do it through the nation of Israel. And Jesus comes through the nation of Israel. But my friends, you need to understand the reason we exist is is to worship and pray to this great God and pour his amazing love and hope out to the community so they can know this one true God. That doesn't mean that you back away from your godly values. That doesn't mean you become like them, but that does mean you get where they are and you break down the barriers and you begin to let them see the one that is the authority of your life and over your life and working through your life. That becomes difficult because persecution comes when you don't become like them. In other words, when you stand out above the crowd, Teenager, and you don't fall into peer pressure. You know what? They're going to begin to talk about you. They're going to begin to say things all about your life. But you just keep standing firm and you keep giving your allegiance to God because the purpose of you being this standout and this one that people persecute or make fun of is is simply to draw them out of darkness into the wonderful light. And I'm a firm believer. If you stand on the firm foundation of who Jesus is, those who surround you that are currently pointing the finger and making fun of you will come out of darkness into the wonderful light and they'll know the same God you know. See, see, I want to I talk to you, moms, because somebody may be making you feel inadequate because you're the stay-at-home mom. Well, you just keep nurturing those children. You keep loving on those children. You keep being that mom. And you know what? Yeah, you know, maybe you're not making the kind of, uh, you know, pocket change that your neighbor's making, but it's okay. If God called you to be at home with your children, stay at home with your children, do what God has called you to do. Now that doesn't make you more, that doesn't make you less, but you don't need to let society define who you are. If God has called you to pour into your children, you need to let God define who you are. You worship him, you stay the course, and you wait and see what God does. Let me speak to you, dad. The one that's working hard. The one that's pouring his life out. The one that stands up when nobody else stands up. The the one that leads his family with audacity and purpose 
and says, for me and my house, we'll worship God. For me and my house, we'll see that my family is in church. And you know what? People are going to make fun of that. People are going to persecute that. Like you, weakling. Ain't you the backbone of your family? Well, let me tell you, you keep worshiping God. And whenever whenever their world begins to shake and tremble, they're going to begin to look at your heart and what you're doing and the hope that you have found in Christ Jesus. And I can declare to you that they're going to come out of darkness into the wonderful light. It's your purpose, man. We got to stand for godly values and godly purpose and a God who brought us out of darkness into the wonderful light. And, and you know, that's, that's really what worship is. That's what having a heart of prayer is. It's saying, God, I'm giving you my allegiance and I'm aligning my family and my household and my career and everything about me with you and your values. And, and, and I'm going to stand firm on who you are and what you've done. And guess what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to take advantage of, of society at large. I'm going to stand in the middle of it. I'm going to pour out your love. And I'm going to pour out your hope. And I'm going to watch people step from being an outsider to an insider and becoming everything God has created in me to be. It's a house of prayer, man. That's what a house of prayer is. A house of prayer is a group of people that give their allegiance to a great God and let his presence reside in them. And when his presence resides in them, they, they, they continually together extend hope to the greater community. They pour out hope. You know, it's interesting, before the first temple became defiled, Solomon dedicated that temple to God. It's found in your Bible in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7. There's a powerful, powerful verse in chapter 7 that people quote all the time in our society. My people will turn from their wicked ways, right? Everybody know that? They will turn from their wicked ways and they'll they'll come to me, then I'll heal their land. Well, let me tell you what that's on the heels of. That's on the heels of chapter six, where Solomon dedicates the temple, that first temple before it became defiled to God. And can I tell you that that dedication, what he says is he prays to God. He falls on his knees before the people. He prays to God. And he makes it a house of prayer. He gives allegiance to God. And and he makes this statement, may this be a place that foreigners always come to. See, the set-apartness of God, the holiness of God in your life, to be set apart to be the temple, means simply this, that God rests in you and you're a vessel for him wherever God places you. There's something supernatural when you take all the little blocks, all the little pieces, because we are God's house. You put them together and get them in one accord and align for one purpose, which is to transform a community, give God allegiance and transform a community. And I'm, I'm telling you, the Gentiles, those, those outside of the community, 
will begin to flood in and know who this true God is. God's going to do some magnificent things. And, and, and what I'm, I'm simply doing during the second week, at the end of the second week of this fast, is I'm saying, God, what kind of tables do you need to flip over in my life? What, what, what barriers are standing in the way? Thousands, tens of thousands of people stepping into your community. Now, again, I want to be crystal clear. God doesn't expect people to come into to his presence and, and, and stay the same. All people are welcome. But God expects his presence to change the human heart, to transform it into who he has created that human to be. And it's not, hey, God, just forgive me and offer me a future. It's God, forgive me and transform me and use me for a grander purpose. Come on, somebody. There are hundreds of people even in this family, in this community that have submitted to that message. And my friend, the whole reason we exist is so the, the multitudes and the thousands submit to that message. The good news of who Jesus is. He came to offer hope to humanity. Let's pray. God, you're an amazing God. And I thank you so much for your spirit, I thank you for your presence in this place today. You're a holy God. And God, you have set us apart for a wonderful purpose. God, I pray that we would all examine our hearts and say, God, what barriers are in the way of keeping people away from the hope that you offer through Christ Jesus? And God, would we invite you to come in and flip those tables up? Would we invite you to transform us into the people you have called us to be so that the world may know who you are? Your house is to be called a house of prayer for the nations. So God, we believe that it's not just for one people group, we believe it's not just for the male gender. It's not just for the female gender. God, we believe that it's not for those who have got their life all together or those who don't have their life all together. God, we believe this good news and this hope is for all people. May we be the light. May we be encouraged and transformed into the church, the temple of greatness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged, motivated, and inspired today by the message. 
And again, man, we believe in you. We believe great things for you. It's because of many people's faithful giving that we're able to go out around the world. If you choose to invest in Barefoot Church, just go on over to barefootchurch.com. You can give there. But go out, live your purpose, and be inspired in a great, great way.